Today we're, we, are, uh, we are in part three of, of a collection of talks that we've entitled Don't Call Me, Don't Call Me a Christian. And we're going to close this thing out next week and then we're going to uh, pick up and, and offer another, a brand new, brand new series, a new collection of talks. But today I want to I speak from a message entitled Don't Judge Me. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't judge me. Turn to the person on your other, your other option, your second choice and say, maybe you can judge me a little bit. Maybe judge me a little bit. Judge me a little bit. This, this whole series, Don't Call Me a Christian, is, is really kind of founded upon the idea that the term Christian is really only identified or, or spoken of three different occasions in the, in the Bible. Only three times do we see this word, which is kind of ironic, being that we would assume that, that the book that's all about like Christians would mention the term Christian frequently, but the only times we ever see it met, mentioned is, is in a derogatory manner where those who are kind of outside the Christian circle were, were referencing those who were inside and said, oh, those are Christians. Kind of like a, kind of like it was like an embarrassing term to be identified, to be identified at. And what's interesting is that this term Christian in the scriptures, it's never defined. And so as a result, we, we tend to today kind of redefine and define it for ourselves over and over again. It's the reason why we see Christians on either side of every argument, on either side of every political uh, rally, on either side of any, any fence that we could possibly kind of build within our society. We see Christians on any side or on either side of any position, don't we? I mean, we, all, there's so many people who kind of categorize themselves under this bigger umbrella of Christian. But what's interesting is that Jesus himself defined for us something more specific. He, he, called, he called those who follow him, see if you remember in the last couple weeks, he, he called them what? Disciples. Good job. He called them disciples. On your way out today, we're going to get you a sticker. And so he, he, called, he called them disciples. And what's interesting about this term is that Jesus was far more specific in defining what a disciple really was. Here's what I've noticed. Here's what I've kind of discovered as I kind of observe where we're at, where we're at today. You can be a Christian, kind of label yourself a Christian, and believe almost anything. You can be a, you can be a Christian and adopt just about any form or type of lifestyle that you want. Because the difference, the difference between Christian and disciple are, 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 pretty, are pretty big. In fact, I'd, I'd like to categorize like this. I would say that, that Christian, being a Christian, is all about what a person believes. But being a disciple is all about what a person actually does. Yeah. Now, one of the criticisms kind of levied against, against Christians today is that they do a much better job, that we do a much better job of policing other people's behavior than we do our own. Have you noticed this? And we do a really good job of pointing out what everybody else should be doing. We kind of do a bad job of looking in the mirror at times, though, don't we? And if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we're, we're ethos church. We, we like to kind of take the mask off and just be real while we're gathering together. We're going to be honest with ourselves. There's a whole lot of truth to that. Now, I want to, I want to talk about that this morning. Steve, Steve Jobs, he had this quote I recently read in his biography where he said, the juice, the juice goes out of Christianity when it becomes too based on faith rather than on living like Jesus or seeing the world as Jesus sees. I think we have this, I think we might have this slide. If, if we don't, no worries, Bethany, or Bethany, Brittany. Brittany's back there. Everybody say hello to Brittany. Sorry, Brittany. Couldn't see you very well. Um, but let me read that again since we don't have it up there. It said, he says, the juice, or kind of the, 
the, the, the oomph, so to speak, goes out of Christianity when it becomes too based on faith rather than on living like Jesus or seeing the world as Jesus saw it. Now, and that's coming from a guy who didn't even, didn't even profess to be a follower of Jesus. He didn't profess to be a Christian. He just began to recognize kind of the, the, the real power of Christianity kind of exits the room when it's all about what we believe and it's not really so much about what we're actually doing. In John 13, verse 35, it's kind of been the, been the, the, the verse that we've been leaning into throughout, throughout these talks. Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my, here's that word again, disciples, if you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my followers, you're my guys, you're my girls, if you love one another. Not just simply by what you believe, but by something that you actually do. Now, before we kind of transition here, I want us to lean into this for just a moment. Think about this. Think about this. How much more attractive would we be if we had always gotten this command of Jesus right? How, how, how hard do you think it would be to create space, whether in small groups or in, in different communities or within a gathering on a Sunday? How much, how much more difficult would it be to even create enough space for people to fit into if we had always leaned into and gotten this command of Jesus to be right? I think one of the reasons why so many people don't go to church today is because this hasn't been the primary goal. See, what's interesting is that Jesus and all the authors of the New Testament, primarily the Apostle Paul, Peter, and John, in, in so much of their writings, they're very clear that love is to be our highest priority, both, here it is, both with those who are inside the church, those who profess to be followers of Jesus, and those who are outside the church, those who say, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really sure what I believe, but I, I'm pretty certain right now I don't believe what you, what you believe. And yet I'm both in those categories of people. Paul, Jesus, Peter, and John are pretty clear that love is still to be your highest priority. Now, if you are here today, if you're here this morning, and you are not a Christian, not a Jesus follower, you're going to love this talk today. You're going to love it. You're probably going to even at certain points feel pretty justified. At certain points, you're probably even going to want to say amen, even though you've never said amen before. You're going to want to kind of shout me down, even though you don't even know what shout me down even means. You're going to get a little excited like you're at a Buckeye game and Justin Fields, who should be the Heisman front runner right now, like he just scored another touchdown. And by the way, sometimes people say I talk too much about sports. Get used to it. And so I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's not very loving but I kind of mean it, so help me out. <laughs> but but, but here's, here's the other side of that. Here's the other side of that. If you're kind of like a right-leaning, politically active, like you kind of, you, you're kind of like a, what you maybe consider to be like a conservative believer, um, you, you might feel like, like I have an, like a hidden agenda today. You, you're definitely gonna feel like I'm kind of stepping on your toes a little bit. And that's okay too. I don't have a hidden agenda, and, 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 I, and I am intentionally trying to step on some toes today. Because if I can be honest with you, as I'm, as I'm studying through these talks, as well as what we're going to get into in our, in our next series, as I'm beginning to pre prepare for, for the weeks to come, uh, it's, it's, really stepping on, it's really kind of stepping on, on my toes. But here's my encouragement to us. Don't ever come to church, whether it's Ethos Church or any other, any other gathering, and just take what somebody says because they simply are standing on a platform with a microphone in their hand and assume that it is God speaking. Don't just assume that. Open up your B-I-B-L-E, if that's the book for thee, and, 
and begin to discover it for yourself. What is God, what is God saying here? I don't think the pastor of any community is meant to speak on behalf of God for people. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. I believe that, that my primary goal is to equip us through the work of the ministry when we get outside of these for walls, to inspire, to encourage, but individually we are to lean into what God is speaking to us and begin to discover in the scriptures what it really says and how we can contextualize what was originally written 2,000 years ago to an Eastern culture, primarily a Jewish people. Today, in a 21st century, primarily here we are in America, a Western civilization. We need to contextualize this for us today. And my encouragement to us is that if there's anything that steps on your toes today and you're like, I don't like it, I don't believe it, just begin to read it for yourself and see what God would speak, what he would speak to you. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus gives for us what is primarily referred to as the Great Commission. It's kind of his final marching orders to his people. It's the last chapter in Matthew's version of his eyewitness account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And, and Jesus says this, Therefore, go and make, go and make, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm gonna be with you always, even to the very end of the age. Now, for a moment, we go back to verse 19. Keep that up there for just a moment, Britt. If we go back to verse 19, and we look at the, the very beginning of that verse, where it says, go and make, go and make. Now, the New Testament, some of you are familiar with this, the New Testament, which is the newer portion of our Bible, was written in the Greek language, so later, English translators tried to make it make sense. What does that word best mean to us today? Which is why translations continue to increase over time. That's a positive thing because the English language begins to increase as well. But that one, that those three words, go and make, was actually one, one Greek word. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce it because I'm not a Greek scholar and I don't pretend to be. But it means to cause someone to become a follower of. That go and make term means to cause someone to become a follower of. For the first 300 years of Christianity, the, the, the early church got this right. They understood what it meant to cause someone to become a follower of. Now, if you ever wonder what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, you gotta look at what Jesus did. Because his behavior and his teaching are synonymous with one another. So if you ever see, man, that, that's really confusing, Jesus. What does that mean? Just begin to look and study the behaviors of Jesus, and you'll begin to interpret the teachings of Jesus. For the first 300 years, the church really got this. They got this right. But then eventually, the, the church started to kind of deviate from what it really meant to call someone to become a follower of. And it was as a result of the church becoming the official language of Rome, in the, or not language, rather, but the official religion of Rome. And the church started to get to power. They started to get some power. Right, like, like they, they got, they got the power. Like suddenly in my head, like I heard, like I got the power. You know, like that, that never happened when I was preparing for this, and it happened right there. And this is the world in the way in which my mind thinks. And so, 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 but they they got power, and they started to leverage their power more than they started to leverage their behavior. Now, 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 think about this for just a moment. When my wife and I, when we had first met each other and we, we, had, we, had, uh, we had first started dating, I, I did everything I could to win my wife over. Like I, I was, I, I mean, I was sending her 
like boxes full of rose petals, like in the mail. We, we had like a long distance relationship about six hours apart. And so, I mean, I was sending her cards like every single week. Like her, my in-laws are down front. Like they can attest. Like, I mean, I was like, I was like, whatever I gotta do. Like I'm, I'm driving out as many weekends as I possibly get out. Cause I wanted to win this girl. I had never met anybody like Courtney. I thought she was beautiful. I still think she's beautiful. There was something unique about her, just kind of who she was. And I was like, I, I want that in my life forever. You know what I mean? And so I was like, I gotta win this girl. I gotta win, I gotta win her over. Like I, I went so far as like I kind of grew up in high school. Like I, I always, I always just like bought the cheap cologne. Like I had curves. Remember curves? Like I, I was like, curves was my, that was like, that was that was my scent. That was my smell. And like I remember when we started dating, I was like, I better upgrade from this $15 cologne. I need to get myself some like $20 cologne. And so I I, I like, I, I even, I literally, I like, I got some new cologne. I don't remember what it was. But I remember going out to the store and being like, I need like some good cologne. I didn't care how it smelled. I just looked at the price. I was like, that's about $6 more than I usually pay. It's probably going to win. It's probably going to win her over. So, 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 so like, but I was doing everything I could to win her over. Now, if you know my wife, the closer you get to my wife, what you discover is that she is incredibly sweet. She's so kind. She's full of empathy and compassion for people. But my wife, she has a very, some, some very strong, deep-rooted convictions about some stuff. Like, she, like, like she's super sweet, but do not cross her because she will cut you. You know, like, she, <laughs> she's dangerous. And, and, like, I'm telling you, like, she, like I'm like, like, I, I, like I, I submit to you, woman. And so, so no, but, like, I'm kind of joking. But, but, like, the truth is, is, like, like if you're familiar with StrengthsFinder, anybody, anybody familiar with StrengthsFinder, StrengthsFinder 2.0, it's actually a tool that, that this October... We're beginning to implement in Ethos 101 now. If you've never been through Ethos 101, you learn, want to learn more, about, learn more about Ethos and kind of how you can get involved and make a difference here. Ethos 101 is the, place to, is the place to be. And something that we're implementing here in October is we're going to be taking people through StrengthsFinder and helping people identify their unique God-given gifts and strengths. Well, Courtney has the strength called belief, which doesn't have anything to do with religious belief. It just means that you're not going to easily change some things that she does believe. And so, so what, what that means for me is that if you went up to my wife and, and, and I said to her, I said, baby, you need to love me or else. She would say to me, peace, we're done, see you later, next guy, like bring him on up. You know, like, like you, you're not going to threaten or impose your will upon Courtney. Like I don't care how small she is, I don't care how, how fragile you might, like she's just not, not going to do that. Well, guess what? You can't really threaten or impose your will on a whole lot of people, really. Think about, for those of you who are maybe in sales, and you, you, how do you win over a contract? You don't threaten and impose yourself onto the individual. You try, to, you try to win them over through building a relationship and creating a, creating a rapport. Well, when we start to gain power, and when churches begin to, begin to gain and, and kind of have more influence, which, which, by the way, the church in America is losing influence, and I actually don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing because I think the church has to go back to its original roots and identify how did we become so quickly growing to begin with? And, 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 and right, right here it is. Because over time, as the church began to gain power, I think they started to read Matthew chapter 28 kind of something like this. Therefore... Go and impose my teachings, values, and worldview on all nations, threatening them with judgment and destruction if they don't obey everything I have commanded you. Because inviting people to become a follower of Jesus is very different than imposing your will or your values, or Jesus' values for that matter, onto people. 
It's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, though I'm free and I belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone. Why, Paul? To win as many as possible. Paul, and really, for that matter, a collective large group of New Testament believers always opted for win. Let's win people over. They did not, and here it is, here it is, they did not expect non-Jesus followers to behave like Jesus followers. But they did expect Jesus followers to behave like Jesus followers. And this is so critical today, I believe, in 21st century America for us to really understand. Because here in just a moment, we're going to drop into a letter. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the, to the church at Corinth. We're going to drop in on chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 here. And, and, and Corinth was an extremely sensual city. Like, like they kind of had like maybe like Vegas's model. Like what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. They're about 50 miles southwest of the, of the city of Athens. And the people of that day, the church at Corinth in that time, had, a, had some struggles kind of understanding the conflicting moral values of the Greek and Roman culture versus the Jewish Christian culture. And we're going to drop in here to one of the most extreme examples of them all. And Paul begins to describe for us how followers of Jesus Christ are to interact with those who are not followers of Jesus Christ. And I feel like this is a really crucial message for us. If there was one talk within this collection of don't call me a Christian that I think we need to lean into, I think it's this one. Because we do not exist to be a church who just shows up on Sunday morning. If our Sunday mornings aren't influencing our Mondays, then we're getting something wrong. If Sunday morning isn't influencing our world, then we're not doing something right. And Paul jumps in here to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and he says this. It's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans don't tolerate. Essentially, what Paul is saying is he's introducing that there is a Jesus follower morality, and then there's kind of like a non-Jesus follower or a pagan or outside the church morality. And he goes on, and he begins to describe for us what this what this is. And he says, there's a man who is sleeping with his father's wife. Now, most scholars believe that this would have been his stepmom, who his dad had already divorced. But nevertheless, it doesn't really matter. Paul is saying, I don't think this is okay. And Paul says here in verse 2, you're, you're proud about it. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically with you right now, I'm with you in the spirit as one who is present with you in this way. I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. Time out. Paul says, I've passed judgment. Okay, Paul. Um, Paul, we, we kind of need to like bring you up to speed on something here, Paul. The Bible says that we're not supposed to judge. To which Paul would say, I'm writing the Bible. <laughs> what, what the Bible says, it doesn't say that we're not supposed to judge. It actually, actually brings us up to speed on who we're supposed to judge. That word judge there that, that Paul uses in the original language, it, it means to hold accountable, to assess a situation, to bring about a resolution. To hold accountable, to assess to, to resolve. 
So Paul goes on then in verses 5 through about verse 8, and he begins to kind of share for us in the next passage and, and give us some explanation. He says, here's what I want you to do to this guy. I actually want you to kick him out. I want you to put him out. I want you to tell this guy, if you want to do that, if you want to kind of, kind of live in that manner, fine, but you got to do that out there. You can't do that. You can't do that in here. And so he says, I want you to, want you to kind of kick him out. What Paul is saying is, you got to let this guy face the full consequences. Listen to this. You got to let this guy face the full consequences of his sin so that he'll come running back here and he'll say, oh, I should have never done that. I repent. And then we'll take him, then we'll take him back in. Oftentimes, if you're kind of familiar with this story a little bit, it's been taught like Paul says, send the guy to hell. Paul doesn't say that. He actually says in verse 7, he says, kick him out so that his spirit could be saved on the, on the greater day of judgment when he stands before Jesus. He actually is saying, I want this guy to come back into fellowship, come back into relationship, come back into right being, right doing in this community. But here's what we all know to be true. That sometimes, not all the time, not all, not all the time, sometimes the shortest route back is to get all the way out into your sin, let it beat you up really bad, and then you come back into a church like ours and, and you come back with the rest of us beat up sinners and we all say, yeah, yeah, been there, done that. Actually, I'm pretty screwed up too. And then we continue to live in this journey following after Jesus together. But sometimes, sometimes we know this to be true. Sometimes, sometimes the fastest way back is to go all the way out. And that's what Paul's saying here. Not all the time. It is critical that I just take 30 seconds and explain this. The Bible is a living, breathing book, meaning these are real people in real time. So you can't take, you can't take one scenario in the scriptures and apply it to every individual relationship in your life. We try to do that, and what that does is we are leveraging power and not love. Because love always initiates a relationship, leans into the voice of the Spirit with the instruction of God's Word, and then begins to appropriate His Word as it relates to how God is leading us to appropriate His Word as it, as it relates to the relationships around us. And so Paul is saying here, this guy is unrepenting. In other words, he, he's saying, I don't really care. I've been doing this. The language that Paul actually uses in verses 5 and 6, it, it illustrates that this guy was basically saying like, yeah, I don't care. Y'all have tried to correct me. I don't really want any of your correction. I don't want to be held accountable. I don't want you to assess my situation. I don't want to bring about a resolution. I'm done. And so Paul says, Man, we can't help you. We, we can't help a situation that has pride like that. And then Paul goes on in verse 9. Here's what I, all of this was kind of preface for the next three verses here. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, not at all meaning the people of this world. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not at all talking about the people of this world who are immoral, greedy, swindlers, idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. Paul's kind of being sarcastic here. He's like, look, if I meant like you couldn't hang out with anybody, whoever was relating to sexual immorality, immoral, greedy, swindlers, man, you wouldn't even be able to walk around the earth. Paul said, you'd have to leave. You'd have to be stuck in your home all day long watching reruns of the first four games of the Ohio State Buckeyes season. Like, this is all that your life would be about. He goes on. He says, in that case, you have to leave the world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister. Notice he doesn't use the word Christian because he didn't use that word. Something far more endearing, something far more relational. Somebody who is a brother 
or a sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler, don't even eat with such people. But what business, here he concludes in verse 12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Wow. Okay. Now, full disclosure. This message has been really hard for me to prepare for. Because I want us to understand this, but the challenge is that oftentimes when we teach on things like this, as I mentioned previously, people kind of grab a hold of the power side, the authority side, and they apply this one thing to every situation in their lives. And that's not what Paul is telling us to do. So I want to make sure that we get this. I want to make sure we get this. Paul is saying you're supposed to judge the people on the inside, to assess, to hold accountable, to bring about a resolution. But, but you don't have any business judging the people on the outside. you got no business judging those who don't profess to believe the same things, who are following after Jesus in the same way. But if there's somebody on the inside of your Jesus community, on your leadership team, in your group, and basically they're kind of living in the wrong direction, we're supposed to hold them accountable to the Jesus way of living, to Jesus way of teaching, to Jesus' way in his lifestyle. And for some people, the reason why they don't want anything to do with the church today is because they felt judged for their behavior and they never signed up to be a follower of Jesus to begin with. And Paul's like, you were never supposed to judge them to begin with. And that's our fault. That's my fault. We take collective responsibility for that as a community. That's a group of people who tried to leverage something other than love. Our country today, really, I mean, we could probably easily say our world, but we have better context just to understand our country. It's full of people who have faced this, who have experienced this. And in the first century, here's the deal. They didn't experience this. In the first century, the, the early followers of Jesus, they did not expect non-Jesus followers to behave like Jesus followers. They expected Jesus followers to behave like Jesus followers. And this is really critical for us to understand. We are supposed to hold each other accountable to the standards of Jesus. That's love. That's what love is. And, and parents, you instinctively understand this. Colton, you can help me close this thing out here in a moment, but you, you, you understand this. As, as a dad, I get this. Because here's the deal. In my home, if my kids come home with homework, they have to do their homework. If they don't do their homework, then that means that they know the answers to the tests that are coming up. And if they don't get a, a, an A on that test, then there's going to be some consequences. Now, what I'm not saying is that if they study and don't get an A, there's going to be consequences. No, I just want to know that you put, the, you put forth the work in order to get the best grade that you could possibly get. And if you're not going to study, do your homework, okay, then I'm expecting you're going, to, you're going to get an A. If you don't, there's a standard and there's some consequences. That's in my home. That's with my kids. I think that's love. But I'm not going to come over to your house and hold your kids accountable to do their own homework. Why? It's not my home. It's not my kids. Now, if we're watching your kids, your kids are over at our house, and they start jumping on the couch, and, and my kids are no longer allowed to jump on the couch that used to be when they weighed 30 pounds, and then we decided that it wasn't good for the couch anymore, and 
We wish that we had decided from the very beginning not to do that because now we're struggling with that, but that's neither here nor there. But if your kids start jumping on our couch, what I'm not going to do is put them in a timeout. No, they're not my kids. I'm going to ask them to stop jumping on the couch. If they start jumping again, I'm like, well, your mom will be here in a couple hours, and then the couch will stop. But if it's my kids and they jump on the couch and they know they're not supposed to jump on the couch, I'm going to lock them outside. I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. Totally kidding. But there's, that we, we understand this as parents, that, that love doesn't just mean that we float through a field of daisies sucking on a lollipop. Like, like there's accountability. There's, there's who floats through the field of daisies sucking on lollipops anyway? That's probably dangerous to do to begin with. You shouldn't run with a lollipop in your mouth. And... We try to get real practical here at Ethos Church. Don't run with lollipops in your mouth. You're like, what'd you learn today? Not to run with lollipops in my mouth. You know? but, but, but no, like, like the reality is, is that there is a side to love. There's a side to love that says, hey, Weston, I'm not going to call you out publicly. I, I, I'm not going to talk about you behind your back. I'm not, I'm not going to be like, oh my gosh, do you hear about Way and, May and Weston? Yep, yeah, they really jacked up. Oh, hey, what's up, guys? Hey, yep, that's them right there. Yep, yep. Who, who's May? That's them right there. That's them. Oh, hey, guys, what's up? So good to see you. I love you guys so much. Yeah, no, no, no. Hey, bro, let's grab coffee. I think there's a better way of living. I want to help, help you pursue all that Jesus has for you. And, and listen, 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 listen. And I want, I want us as a community of followers of Jesus to uphold the command of love. And as a result, I want, to, I want to love you in an appropriate form where I'm holding you accountable, assessing your situation, and helping you, helping you bring about a resolution. Now, you know what love isn't though, right? It's what we just did. It's knowing that there's something better. It's knowing that you're capable, you have potential to come up to a higher level, but never personally getting engaged in that relationship to help people come up to a higher level. Oh yeah, Tyler, jacked up, Tyler is, that guy. Screwed up to the core. Yep, yep, can't believe it. Yep. I knew it was coming, I mean, look at him. He's all messed up, got the beard and stuff. You know, Building, growing a mustache, crustache. I don't know, just, and Tyler knows I love him, by the way. He's getting married in two weeks, two weeks from today, two weeks from yesterday. Yeah. And, 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 but, but love says, no, no, man, like, I'm not going to talk about you. I, I'm going to pray for you. We're going to talk a little bit about next week about what even biblical conflict resolution really even is. Because I think we just don't, I just don't think we talk about this stuff enough. I think, I think the church today, we're kind of either on one side or the other. We're like, we're all legalistic, all religion, or we're like all the way over here. It's like, yep, there's the field of daisies and here's my lollipop. You know, like, and no, like there's a middle ground here. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Not just one or the other, it's both. John says in 1 John chapter 4 that he's the personification of love, meaning that if Jesus is love in walking, talking, human form, that also means that love then is full of both grace and truth. But, but historically, 
Christians have done a much better job of policing the behavior of outsiders than they have of policing their own behavior. And we're never called, in fact, we are instructed not to judge those who are outside of our quote unquote faith. So here's kind of the big idea. Here's kind of our big, our big takeaway. That my business, your business, our business is to follow Jesus to the best of my ability and to allow people into my life to judge, assess, and hold me accountable, and with an attitude of humility to get into other people's lives who are trying to follow Jesus to the best of their ability. Let me say that again. My business is to follow Jesus to the best of my ability and to allow people into my life to judge, assess, hold accountable, bring about resolution, and with an attitude of humility, setting aside pride to get into other people's lives who are trying to follow Jesus to the best of their ability. Outsiders, they should never feel coerced. They should always feel drawn into our community. They should never feel forced. They should always feel like, like one into the community because, because I know how most of you, I know how I, I, I could probably read your mail right now. I kind of probably understand how you became a Jesus follower. Those of you who call yourself Christians, I, I probably know how it happened. You weren't coerced. You were, you were drawn. There was something attractive that you saw about somebody else who was following after Jesus. And consequently, you were like, man, I, I kind of want what you have. I want to close with this story. I've only got about three minutes left. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but but I just saw this individual and I wanted to, just thought, man, this fits so perfectly. There's, there's a family in our church, uh, they've been coming for several months now, and, and uh, his son-in-law, or, or rather I should say, they, they, they both come. His son-in-law, who at the time was not his son-in-law, about a decade ago, was, was dating his daughter, and they had made some decisions and kind of got themselves into a, into a, into a kind of a challenging situation and, and he had never met, he had never met who would eventually be his future wife. He'd never met her parents up to this point because they hadn't been together for, for too long. And, and, and the dad said, I want, you to, I want you to come over to our house, invites him over. And this guy, he was terrified because he thought for sure that the dad was gonna be furious, irate with him, that he was gonna just kind of go off the cuff and, and, and in fact, the guy told me the story that the son, the son-in-law told me the story. He said, I thought for sure he's gonna like knock me out. I was just, I thought I'm just gonna take it. If he throws a punch, I'm gonna take it. I deserve it. I screwed up, I jacked up. At the time, this guy is not a follower of Jesus at all. Not, not, a, not a believer. Doesn't really even care about, care about that at all. He shows up at the guy's house, right? Shows up at the, the future father-in-law's house. And the first thing that the guy does when he opens the door is he leans in and he gives him a hug braces him, hugs him real tight. And I, I know this guy now, I'm getting to know him pretty well, and he kind of digs his face into his neck. I can imagine that's how he hugs. Oh, a big old bear hug. He said the guy, the son-in-law kind of steps back. He's like, man, I wasn't expecting that. He says, come on in. Let's eat dinner together. Okay. Comes in. The whole time, he's like, I'm just waiting like for the rug to be pulled out from under me. It never gets pulled out. Eventually, eventually, after a few weeks go by, 
And it's just this continual display of grace and truth, by the way, because that's exactly what we're supposed to do. He, he says, what's, what's, what's going on with you? Why, why are you not like, like telling me off and just furious with me? He says, oh man, I love you. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. I, can't, I mean, I can't be upset with you. All that I've been forgiven of, my gosh, I love you. He says, he goes on, eventually he leads this guy to the Lord. Over a decade later, they're now this beautiful family together. They're coming to Ethos for, for a few months now. They've got just these beautiful kids. And I just thought, man, what a, what a perfect display and picture of. Now, now, I don't know this side of the story, but I've kind of heard, I would bet though, that the conversation with his daughter looked a little bit different than the conversation with the future son-in-law. Because our responsibility, the command is to stop judging outsiders and love one another. Stop judging outsiders and love one another. It's the reason why, hear me church, hear me, hear me. Sometimes in these moments I start to feel like real pastoral. Like, I just, it's the reason why when legislation gets passed by lawmakers who are not professing followers of Jesus and Christians take to social media and we begin to look like fools. I'm gonna step on some toes. I'm gonna step on my own toes. We're not to judge them. Pray for them. Should we get involved? Absolutely, man. Like, I am a, I am a closet hyper-political individual. I just don't talk about it a lot with people. In fact, I was in somebody's home recently and they were talking about some politics. I was biting my tongue. I was like, don't you say it, Jordan. Don't you say it. I was like, I gotta leave. And I walked out, you know. I mean, it wasn't quite like that, but I, I was really biting my tongue. And, and, but, but the truth is, we're to pray for, but we, should, we don't need to be alarmed by it. We don't need to be all taken aback by it. Listen to me, the darker that the world gets, it's okay. The brighter the church should look. Jesus says, or Paul rather says, that where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. Every time the enemy thinks he's winning, oh, there's more sin, more immorality, more greed, more idolatry. God's like, are you kidding me? My grace always overcomes your sin. My grace always overcomes the weakness. My grace always triumphs. So we don't have to be so all up in arms about it. In fact, in fact, don't, please, dear God, please don't ever take to social media getting into an argument with another believer, another Christian. I don't care if our views are completely different. The scriptures actually say, and we'll talk about it more next week, but the scriptures say that we are to do that individually, privately. We look like idiots and we completely lose our witness. The moment that we go to public with that stuff. Stop that. If I could be so bold, and I don't think I've ever been this bold in the first year of our church. Year number two, year of boldness, I don't know, but, but you know, like pastors do that, they're like, this is the year of, and they have like a word. I'm not even against that, I'm just saying, I've never had that before, so maybe I'm just envious of it, but, but, but no, I just think like, man, like we gotta, there's a witness that we have as a community of people called the church, and we lose it when we start arguing with one another. Wow. No, stop judging the outsider. Love 
It's the command of Jesus. It's the command of Paul. It's the command of the scriptures. It's the command of our heavenly